There we go. Len Fisher, welcome to the Mother Earth Heroes show. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It just sounds like a fantastic idea. <laughs> Len, um, by researching you, there was one thing that uh, really stood out to me, which is that you are the man when it comes to bringing complex things, especially from the physics world, into some tangible um, and visible stories or, or anecdote or, um, or uh, humorous um, messages. Um, so I'm really happy to have you here on the show and diving deeper into this complex system of our world and diving deeper into what causes the problems we are facing uh, right now. So um, again, thanks for your time. You're very, very welcome. <laughs> Len, what do you think uh, when we're talking about climate change? Um, what are some things um, you see which are not talked enough about when it comes to uh, media attention? Well, the main thing that's not talked enough about uh, is how interactive, how interrelated all the various problems are that we are facing. Uh, so, for example, climate change is going to impact on food security, uh, but food security and the food production, as you know, also impacts on climate change. So that, for example, when we're making uh, a, a diet based largely on meat, Uh, then we are producing a lot of meth unnecessary methane and other gases uh, that contribute to climate change. But it goes much, much further than that. We are losing biodiversity at, at a rapid rate, and that's because we're using up our forests and making big mines in places where there shouldn't be. There's a whole lot of things all connected. And it's also the social things, things like social movement, things like... Uh, Well, the disparity in wealth, all of these things are interacting with each other. So it's really important for people not to just say, oh, climate change or oh, biodiversity. All these separate things need to be brought together under one global heading of how do we deal with global problems in general. That is what I'm. What what we have found out as well through our podcast is, and we see it more and more on the streets uh, with signs: is system change, not climate change. Are you talking about something related to that, or like, is there a system? When I understand you right, there there is a systemic problem and not one problem at a time. I, I, I think I should be asking the questions, and you could give the answers. Could you? You just put that absolutely perfectly. In fact, there's a whole science that I have written about called complexity science, and that is how do complex systems work? Now, our world, our social, economic, ecological world is a complex system where things feed back on each other. And we're learning only after the past several decades about how complex systems behave. And what we've learned means that we've got to adopt a very, very different approach to the governance of those systems. Uh, one of the main things that we have learned is that it doesn't matter how carefully you try to control the different components of a complex system, no matter how carefully you try to control biodiversity or you stop making coal, digging up coal, all of these things, it doesn't matter because in the end, the main thing about a complex system is that at some stage, it is under going to undergo radical, sudden change revolution, if you like, in the case of social systems, 
collapse of, a, of an ecosystem, collapse of an economy. We saw that with the bank crisis a few years ago. These collapses are inevitable. So when you're trying to govern a complex system, you have to govern it with very fast feet. You have to be able to move with the system. You can't sit back using dogma, political dogma on either side, for example, and expect it to work. You can't have that level of control. It just doesn't work. What you have to do instead <coughs> is to be understanding, watching what the system is doing and responding to it. Sometimes you can steer it away from a collapse point for a while anyway. Sometimes sudden big change becomes inevitable and that's when you have to be ready to be resilient, to go with the flow so that when the change happens, then you've got to be ready to bounce back and be able to recover. And that's the sort of governance that we need. And it's not the sort of governance that we have in the world at the moment. <laughs> is it, what do you think, is it in, what is needed for that? Like, I would like to dive deeper in that, but first maybe, are you talking as well about, a, is it a mindset shift, what is needed for that? It, 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 is, it is a mindset shift and it's very, very difficult um, to do. I'm working on a book or with some, uh, some people from Kyoto in Japan at the moment, <coughs> excuse me, um, on, on a book called the Kyoto, the Kyoto Manifesto for Global Economics. And that is talking about treating economics as though it is for people rather than for profit. It's an attitude to economics. It's an attitude which says we can't keep on having continuous growth. We have to change the mindset. Now, you can't do that to a whole population at once. But there was a, uh, an economist called Schumacher a few years ago who wrote a book called Small is Beautiful. And he actually had a chapter in that on Buddhist economics. And this is largely what it's about. It, it sounds as though it's on the wacko brigade, on the funny side. But it's a very, very serious thing. These people in Japan uh, basically come from a Zen Buddhist culture. That doesn't mean you want to turn the whole world into Zen Buddhists, but it does mean that you need a style of thinking that allows you to treat economics and to treat growth as something that is for people rather than for profit. Mm -hmm. uh, you just you just got me thinking of another. Is, is there a whistle on this? Is a it whistle. Okay? I just heard something, a noise. Sorry, you'll have to edit that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, there, there was a wonderful paper quite recently um, by a guy called uh, Manfred Schaeffer from Wageningen in the Netherlands. And he compared the disparity in income to the disparity that happens in the Amazon rainforest. And what he pointed out is in the Amazon rainforest, just a few of the species managed to grab most of the resources for themselves, which is just as what is happening in our world economy in the moment. And for the same reason, uh, he did it mathematically, and there's no point in trying to explain that right here. But basically what it is, is once you get a small fluctuation, then it tends to amplify. And unless you damp it down very fast at the beginning, and that small fluctuation would be a fluctuation in people's incomes, fluctuation in the amount of resources the particular plants take in a community. Uh, but the, these fluctuations spontaneously tend to grow. So one of the things that we absolutely need in our governance strategy are mechanisms 
like tax mechanisms, for example, which have existed and do exist in some countries, but mechanisms for making sure that these fluctuations don't take off. You've got to catch the problem at the beginning. Once the wealth starts to accumulate, it's too late. The wealthy get wealthier, the poor get poorer. You know, I, I really love this um, idea of uh, having an, adapt an adaptable um, unit, a world unit who can adapt to problems popping up in the world and going with the flow, solving them in a way. But we talked to a lot of people already with really so compelling sounding concepts. You know, is there already like how would when you would map it out and how, when you would map uh, in, 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 uh, uh, step stones towards this vision of an adaptable flow world unit who is uh, adapting to, to world problems? How would that look like or is that is that still a dream or is it in some parts of the world already reality? It's probably still a dream, but I did have an idea. Uh, as to how to how to turn it into practice, um, there was a competition um, a little while ago based in Stockholm. Uh, now that was it was basically for new ideas for world economics and world governance. Uh, I managed to get to the finals out of about two thousand people, so I was quite pleased with that. Uh, I got to the finals with an idea that we should be using insurance as a basis, not, not insurance in the sense of insurance companies making profits and so on, <clears throat> but insurance in the sense that countries get together. And it's, this is actually happening in the Pacific, incidentally. A number of small countries have got together. They all pay in for an insurance company and the insurance company's job is not to pay out when disaster comes, comes along. The insurance company's job is to invest in things that stop the disaster in the first place. And so what you're getting is countries investing in resilience, investing in preparation, investing in organizations that are ready, investing in knowledge, investing in understanding what is going on. So, so that when things start to happen, they're ready. Uh, the companies are paying the insurance company to do this. The insurance company invests back in the countries in things like, well, for example, wind power or um, moving houses back from the beach, or anything like that. Um, but the insurance company, having been paid and having got the resources, then invests in resilience against global change, in resilience against global challenges. So. That, 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 that's my basic idea. It's spelled out a lot more, of course, um, and, uh, on, on the things that I've written on the net. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately, I didn't quite persuade them. Uh, I wanted them, basically, to dismantle the United Nations and replace it with this sort of insurance company. Uh, but since most of the judges were um, working for the United Nations, it didn't actually go down all that well. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, I still think it's a good idea and I'm still pushing it and I'm still okay. working. I'm working with mathematicians and philosophers at Oxford University to try to build this up into a credible, practical way of governance. As I said, there are examples already, especially around the Pacific nations and about groups of smaller countries. Uh, I'd like to see that happening. It's, it's really interesting because you, you talk about something um, 
which is which is related to this to this to this bigger system there is something there are some rules which are which don't matter when you you said it don't matter so much if you close down a coal plant in first place because the bigger system when you don't understand it is just random things happening and you don't know how it will affect the whole system is that what you have said in the beginning that's 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 a, that's a pretty good summary. Um, the problem that you have, and it's an extremely obvious problem, and it's a problem that comes from game theory. Uh, it's called the tragedy of the commons. Um, now, this isn't your <laughs> program for me to explain the tragedy of the commons, but basically, it works in a circle. That you have a number of people cooperating. Say, the tragedy of the commons is people grazing their sheep on common land and everything's working out fine uh, and and it's maximum capacity but then one of them thinks well if i add one more sheep on average everything will go down a little bit but also we'll be better off and he's right it's absolutely logical but if it's logical for him or her then it's logical for all the other shepherds as well so they all add an extra sheep and suddenly the commons are completely grazed out and everyone ends up worse off than if they'd cooperated in the first place through doing something that was completely logical and completely self-interested. So one of the things that we, the big problem that we have is that we have a world where people are working on self-interest. And one of the things about the Kyoto, Kyoto Manifesto is to work out ways that people will work for group interest rather than for self-interest. And the big problem, the problem that no one's really been able to crack is that's all very well, but if somebody cheats, then they do better. So there is always um, the potential to cheat. And that especially applies in a system where we have this contrast between the pursuit of power and the pursuit of understanding. <laughs> and I can pursue this understanding, we can explain it all, we can spell it out, but we are still going to be beaten by people whose only interest is in power. And the only way that I can see to get around that is for relatively small groups of people in the first instance to take the power to themselves. Uh, I, but I, it's an extremely difficult problem. It's a problem that's been going since the beginning of civilization. That's why our histories are spelled out in terms of war rather than in terms of progress. Uh, maybe in the end, those of us who are interested mainly in understanding are going to have to form an underground movement and just try to work things through. It's a super interesting um, and so important thing, right? That when you spend your time um, getting a lot of deep knowledge about uh, topics and about a systemic understanding of the world, it's hard to spend time building a world-class business. So this is this a notion which is, which is hard to combine, you would say? Uh, well, it's imp impossible for me. I mean, I'm, I'm useless at politics. And I, I know that because I was um, involved in starting a new political party in Australia at one stage. And that's how I know just how bad I am at it, because the, the party collapsed within three years. <laughs> but it, it, it did have, have spin-offs. Uh, so all I can do, uh, really, is to try to lay a foundation for activists to use. And to lay a foundation of understanding. So instead of people running around waving banners about individual problems, that if I can lay down and make available that foundation, which is what we're trying to do at the moment, 
um, then it's, it's probably the best that I can do. But I, in, honest, in all honesty, I feel very pessimistic about it. I, w I would like to feel optimistic. I would like to feel hope. I'm just doing the best that I can. But it is, it, it is so difficult. And the people that, like, the, like Greta Thunberg and so on, um, who are screaming, the, screaming from the rooftops, have a very hard road ahead of them, I'm afraid. Mm. Thank you for this honesty. I think that's as well really important to not uh, beautify the things. But I mean, you are on this road for a long time, right? So you have a lot of, um, and I think we heard it already, you have a lot of wisdom uh, collected already in your life about that. What? Well, I've met a lot of wise people. <laughs> <laughs> you met a lot of wise people. That's great. And what would you say? Uh, what would you say? Would you would have loved starting out? Um, I mean, I don't know if you consider yourself as an activist, um, but um, you you definitely are active for, uh, let's say, when we put it in black and white, the good side. And what would you say? Would you have learned in the over the dec over the over these years and What would you like to know when you would have started out? You know, when, you, when your son or your uh, grandson is starting out now, uh, being active about changing the world to, to, to something positive, what would you like to, uh, to let them know? I think, I, I think this, this, this awareness um, of the, the difference between the pursuit of understanding and the pursuit of power and the awareness of these people who are only interested in power. So I mean, I wrote an article with, with um, a, a UK cabinet person several years ago about how scientists can communicate with politicians. And the one main message of that was that you have to understand that the only way that a politician will listen is if what you have to say to them offers them the opportunity to either retain or to gain power. And, and I mean, that sounds very cynical, but it's absolutely straightforward. And I've got, you know, I've got it from the horse's mouth that this is what happens. So what, what you have to do is to look within your understanding. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to connect with the other person in their terms, in the way that they think. That, that's the most important thing. And that, that, that applies right through the community. I mean, we're talking about politicians here. Uh, all they want is power. But what most people in the community want is security. They want certainty. Now, that's a very big problem for us at the moment because we're talking about syst complex systems which are intrinsically uncertain, where you can't predict their behaviour, where there may be sudden huge change where you have to be ready. So how are you going to communicate certainty under those circumstances? Um, the only way that I can think of doing it is to communicate in terms of what you can do to create resilience. Now, resilience, that itself is a very slippery concept. It can mean, well, it, it, there are 76 definitions of resilience in the literature to start with. And they spread across a spectrum. And at one end, resilience means the ability to bounce back from problems, to bounce back to where you were. At the other end of the spectrum, resilience means the ability to adapt to the new situation. Now, if you provide people with tools, whatever they are, I mean, people take out insurance. I mean, that's not my sort of insurance, but 
yeah, the, the financial insurance, um, to give them security, to give them certainty. We're looking at a different sort of insurance where people can understand that they have the resilience, that they have the backing. Now, this is, if only we could get a political party that could put this one across to people. We'd be, there are some, but it's really difficult. Most, most political parties on either side of the spectrum offer dogma and say, you follow our dogma and everything will be okay. And the one thing we absolutely know for science is that, from science is that it's not going to be okay. <laughs> dogma doesn't work, and it doesn't matter from which side. So we have to offer them security and certainty as much as we can, and to be honest about it. So we have a complex system, and in this complex system, there are players who are in, in, in power or who have knowledge, and we need to learn how to communicate, right? What would you say then to get an understanding, to get even a grasp of the system? Like where, where can we start, start to get an understanding? I heard um, two days ago um, an interview on TV of a, of a, a common friend and um, he talked about sustainability and that for him it's really hard to, 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 to get sustainable or get something out there which helps the world because he has no understanding of what is even happening, you know? So my question is, is there a way of an understanding of even a grasp of the system? Is there a book or something like that, a movie, um, or isn't there something like that so far? Well, you can, you can read one of my books. <laughs> I, I, when I started, and I'm going way off to the side now, but when I started trying to explain how scientists think, I, I had this idea of how do scientists think Of, of, of showing how science works, by showing how scientists think about everyday problems. And, and that, that actually, the everyday problem that I started with was how to dunk a biscuit in a cup of tea. And uh, that, that led to quite a lot of publicity. Uh, and, but from there, I started to write about more and more how do scientists think about the serious problems of the world that we're all concerned with. So I ended up, and I didn't know anything about this. I was waiting for, for an expert in game theory to write this book. And nobody did, so I wrote it. And then I was waiting for someone to write about complexity and how, how we can live the problems of making decisions in a complex world. And nobody wrote that, so I wrote that as well. And then the third one, so I, I ended up with a trilogy where the third one was looking ahead. How do we plan for the future? And those three together, I think, from my point of view, lay down a fairly solid basis in, in, in understandable terms. There's no mathematics in them. Um, so there, there, are, there are books there. I mean, Schumacher's book, Small is Beautiful, is a bit more complex, um, but that also is a very readable book. Uh, but how many people read these days? I haven't seen a TV pro pro program or a TV series or a film which truly reflects the problems of complexity. Uh, maybe you should make one. <laughs> <laughs> That could be a good idea. I'm too old, you do it. <laughs> And Netflix series. So yeah, I, 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 then, then, okay, let's say we, we have read these three books. We have now a basic understanding or a, a, bet, a better understanding of the system. We know how to communicate. 
where do you believe like when, when we have to form this 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 unit this world unit somehow how do you have in mind a way towards this world unit or um, is it is it still something what we have to figure out I, I, it's still something we have to figure out I have a I have a way uh, with some countries in fact with most most countries I believe that the people that you need to reach are not the politicians you need to reach the people who influence the politicians and who are responsible for implementing their decisions. So in England, for example, that used to be the permanent civil service. Uh, in Australia, uh, unfortunately, it's become a, a very fast turnover of people. But what you need to do, the people you first need to reach and train are the influencers. So somehow you've got to go back so instead of these people coming from a humanities background or for that matter from a science background we need to bring the education system so that humanities and science all become one thing and that one thing is a system of understanding so if we can start to train people in a system of understanding which involves humanities and science and just the the value of understanding the whole thing uh, you could there, there are courses on complexity, but they tend to be run by mathematicians. We need courses on complexity that deal with the real world and the real complex world and say, look, these are the basic problems. Now we understand what the basic problems are. Now, why don't you humanities people, you're supposed to be so good at psychology, for example, start going and working out ideas for yourself about how you were going to do this. But at the very least, we need to reach as I say, not the politicians, they're only interested in power and promoting dogma. But there are people that are level below that who are much more responsible, if I might say, uh, and much more caring about the effects of policies and where they're going to go, what they're going to do. And those are the people that we need to reach and that we need to train. We haven't got anywhere near it yet. Uh, I'm not sure that we have enough time, uh, but that's where we have to start, I believe. So before we start um, acting more and more in, in like, let's put it really hard randomly because we don't understand what impact it will have on a bigger system, you would propose this first, we need to form a unit, we need to even educate this unit first because there are not many people with the skill set um, who get an understanding of the system to then act or how would be the ideal um, next six, six, seven years look like? like is first education or can it happen while other things are, are, um, are changing as well? I think we have to do it. I mean, we have, got, we have to have the education, but I think we have to move faster. I mean, you know perfectly well. We have to move a lot faster than that. And that means um, those of us who are involved in the understanding, apart from just sitting and writing books or making podcasts like this, we need individually to be picking out the influencers who have a chance of understanding and giving them the message. And, and the message is an extremely simple one that you have to learn how to follow a system and go with it rather than try to lock it down and control it. It's like, it's like, like trying to hold, hold down a screaming youngster. The more you try to hold them down, the more they wriggle and scream. So then that's unfortunately the way the politics works at the moment, what we need is to sit back and be caring about the youngster instead and to go with it and say, okay, well, why don't you move this way? Why don't you move that way? Uh, maybe 
the way to do it is to pick countries which are closest to this approach to life, maybe the Scandinavian countries, I'm not sure, um, but a, a and, and say, okay, well, let's get in here and let's start with these countries. Let's try to persuade them to act as an example in understanding and in behaving in this way. Get away from the dogma. The ones who have the best chance to get away from dogma and to go with understanding instead. Maybe these are the people. I mean, you've raised this question with me now, and I'm starting to think about it. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, Japan is another one. Um, we're, we have a chance of getting really significant progress. Um, I mean, the, this, the book that I'm working on is a multi-author thing. Uh, one, one of the authors is uh, a man who's um, labelled as Japan's national treasure. Uh, so they're going to listen to him. So... All, all, all of these things you can try. As I said, I'm a lousy politician. So you're asking me a question that I'm probably badly qualified. No, but, but, but it's a good one to, to, to because we, we need these this, this role models as well on a countryside, right? What we try with this podcast is to highlight role models on an individual side, but we need as well as role models now of a society side, you know, like... Absolutely. You, you put your finger right on it. You, you need a role model of society. There are none, no perfect ones at the moment, but to reach, I mean, you're raising this question with me and I'm going to go away and think about this seriously and see what I can do. Because <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's a very challenging question that you're asking and quite, quite rightly, if we can reach the right countries and the right societies, and once they show to be successful, people will start to copy them. So, yeah, okay, you've raised a little bit of optimism there that I didn't have. <laughs> <laughs> because um, what we, we have been to one um, big uh, demonstration uh, next to a coal plant a, a few months ago. It's from a degrowth. Uh, it was a degrowth organization just to check out the vibes there. We see ourselves as, as press and we really want to cover all the different... Um, all the different uh, angles of looking at the problem. And next to this coal plant, there were the workers, you know, and, and they, st they stood there demonstrating against the demonstrators because they would lose their jobs and all the stuff they had, they were scared, mm. you know. So I went, I went over to them and we, we started talking and what they said in the beginning, in the end was, we would directly quit our jobs today when we would see an alternative. That you've, you've put your finger on something else that I was going to say, but I thought it might be a distraction. There's another approach is, of course, the economic approach. And that means that governments have to invest, not just in, say, in alternative energy sources, um, but they have to invest in supporting people out of their jobs, if you like, uh, look, looking after them. In other words, a, a, a social approach. So you have to have, it's a long-term thing, five years, 10 years. Um, because, of course, um, for example, um, clean energy, renewable energy is rapidly replacing fossil fuel energy anyway, just economically. But to make it happen, instead of having a resistance and a fight, you need governments that are willing to invest in helping with the transition, making it easy. Now, that is directly opposed to the free market. and one of the real problems that we have is this belief that the free market leads us to a best equilibrium. It just doesn't. 
it just it just doesn't and it can't, um, which is the the subject of my next book, incidentally. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, and and that's a dogma. You need governments that will see past this dogma and actually invest in making transitions easier, and probably that's the most important thing of the lot. So I put together our clear action steps are when we really want to get a more systemic view and a more like when we want to know really where we can have impact is first uh, like getting an understanding through, for example, reading uh, your books. Which three books would it be? Um, uh, you said a row. Uh, oh, one was called uh, the first one on game theory is called Rock, Paper, Scissors. Rock, Paper, Scissors. Uh, the second one was called The Perfect Storm. Mm -hmm. And the third one, which I probably got right here because I've got to read off the cover for myself. <laughs> yes, Crashes, Crises and Calamities. How we can use science to read the early warning signs. Nice. But that's already out of date. And the questions that you are asking are taking us to the next level. And yeah. that next level, this training level, this persuading level, um, that's the one to... That, um, the um, oh, you know, this, I'm showing you. <laughs> that's, that's the Kyoto Manifesto for global economics. That's the one that is going to spell out how we can use economic forces and also persuasive philosophical forces to try to make these transitions. And some of what you've been asking me, I'm going to put in there now. <laughs> yeah. Very good questions. Because um, uh, I, I, what, what, what is interesting for me as well to know is there something like uh, when, 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 for example, someone is listening right now and he or she thinks, all right, that's the thing. I want to go deeper into that. Is there something uh, we can study? Is there some school out there, some educational concept, some online courses? You know, is there something out there where we can uh, get a deeper peer-to-peer -peer understanding on that where we can meet, for example, is, would you say at Oxford, people have a really good view about that. So people should study at Oxford or is there something uh, where you can get this understanding like you have just an ultra speed? I very much fear that the answer is no at the moment. It's a really terrible answer to give. And when I go off this program, I'm going to go digging and see if I can find a better answer for you. I've had to look extensively. There's a group in Oxford called the Oxford Martin School um, who are working on these problems and working seriously on these problems. I've been very lucky to get associated with them. But I had to go hunting to find out what they were doing. The work is scattered. There is not, a, as far as I know, there is not a focus. And there absolutely needs to be one. You've raised such an important point there. Nice. Cool. So... I'm I'm actually really satisfied. I need to uh, let let things um, let things uh, evolve now in my brain. But maybe when we go go in the last stage of our podcast a little bit into um, into the things we, we have now we, we have understood now there is a system and there is a communication which needs to happen to change the system. We figured out that a good way we have two ways. One way could be taking countries and helping them to become role models on a society basis or taking companies and making them role models like Patagonia or uh, Interface. There are a few companies raising up um, who who getting it really a good job done uh, with their ecological footprint, with sustainability and 
uh, into the cradle cradle movement. What do you think for circumstances can could change uh, in the next few coming years with all this pressure of uh, people on the streets and people demanding that something is going to happen about climate change? What do you think could change in the rules or what little rules change could help already to make this movement a lot more powerful? Talking about politics. Yes, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, he I'm hearing your question. I've been, uh, my brain was going over time trying to find a satisfactory answer for that. Uh, it's difficult to find a satisfactory answer. Because uh, it's complex, one, right? Well, well it, 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 I, you're, you're so fast on this. The whole point is that what you're talking about in the protest movement and, and the problems is a complex system in itself. And we know that the very sudden change can occur as occurred, say, with Greta Thunberg and the, the Greta Thunberg effect in Austria, for example, in the Austrian elections. These, these small things can make huge differences and you can't pick what they might be. All you can do is keep on trying, keep on pushing in the right direction, trying to teach people how they might push in the right direction. And something might just happen spontaneously. These things happen spontaneously. They can take off, but you just have to keep on pushing in the right direction in the hope that one of these things will turn into a massive change. Mm -hmm. And we know that it will, because that's what complex systems do. <laughs> all right, because what we are, what we always uh, um, um, terrify our guests with is we want to find a silver bullet, you know? We want to find this final answer where everything is bright, but I think that is maybe as well some of the mindset shifts we need, that there won't be this one thing happening this one company, this one country, um, doing everything is um, um, suddenly great, but it's a lot of a lot of push in the right direction with the right changes. Yeah, and, and just like the Amazon rainforest thing, one of them will suddenly take off, one of them will suddenly take all the power. Mm. But as long as you've got enough people, a critical mass, if you like, pushing, then we have a chance, <laughs> but it's just a chance. So I, I feel more optimism now. That is that is uh, that is already one uh, one uh, set goal on the podcast is done. Maybe uh, going going in the last questions, Ellen, uh, in respect as well to your time. And uh, when you think about your Mother Earth heroes, which which you got insp inspiration from, and what 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 who has who has this been? Who has been the hero that they've been they've been totally accidental. I mean, one hero was my school mathematics teacher, who in fact didn't know any mathematics, and he was <laughs> he he was learning at a week ahead of the class. <laughs> but he but so it it became a bit of a game to try to get ahead of him. Now that was an unexpected consequence, uh, and another unexpected consequence is when we were all filling out forms for what we wanted to do after we left school, and I was filling out a form for teachers college. And he said, why aren't you filling out a form for university? I, I, I didn't think I was good enough to go to university. I had no idea what universities were about. But it was just him saying that one thing that turned me around to filling out the form for university and following my career as a scientist. That little things can lead to quite big consequences. All you got to do is keep trying. Nice. Love that. And maybe talking about 
um, um, why you're all why you are doing all of that. What would be your utopia, even when it's when it's a little bit far away? But what what do you wish uh, to see in the world? How how would the world look like when Land Fisher uh, was the crone? <laughs> uh, well, I'd shoot every second person to get the population down. Because one one of the real problems that we have uh, is that expectations now uh, living the way that you're living the way that i'm living not it the world can't afford for everybody to do that so either we have this disparity or we cut down the population to the extent where everybody can have a reasonable way of living and also and that that gets you into sustainability territory as well so i mean it, it always comes back to this no matter how what conversation you have it always comes back we just have too many people with too high expectations so we really need to um to get that down as far as possible uh, and i had i had one idea that um, when people go to the doctor the doctor should shoot every second person who comes through the door <laughs> but, <laughs> but maybe that's not very practical <laughs> that is not a really really compelling utopia <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the, not a lot of the, people would the, go to the, the doctor anymore <laughs> uh, the, the, the okay um, my utopia um, which would only happen through evolution would be that the next species after us to evolve would be evolved so that it couldn't help but cooperate because so long as you have individuals pursuing individual self-interest you're always going to have these tragedy of the common problems always there's no one's found a way around that yet uh, but so if we had if we were compelled to cooperate if we just couldn't help it then we'd be very very much better off but at the moment we're pursuing self-interest uh, and i don't know how to damp that you, you need you need it it works it gives us a lot of course it does but when everyone pursues their own self-interest you also end up with these insoluble problems <laughs> so cooperation somehow <laughs> nice <laughs> I do, do brain operations on everybody i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah or some chemistrist uh, find some drug uh, we can put in the in the groundwater <laughs> yeah well yeah I've, i've always had this thought that if we had an enzyme in our bodies um, that created a permanent 0.05% alcohol, then we'd never know what it didn't feel, what it felt like to be sober. Mm. And maybe that'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your time. And uh, thanks for this amazing podcast. And um, I think the second utopia is uh, much more uh, likely uh, to happen with all the push going out there, uh, with all the people trying to make this world a better place. And let's cooperate. That is what I take with me. And then it's a really, a really interesting point because as more we talk about sustainability, system change, climate change, as more we come to the point that actually we have a societal problem and the societal problem is built on mistrust, not uh, cooperating together and this individualism, what we're trying to live which doesn't lead us to happiness in the end as well, right? Like a lot of the most people on this planet are not happy. So we have to make a, a rapid change in everything. And we don't know how it will look like, but what we know is that it's complex.
Oh, well, I told you that I should be asking the questions and you should be giving the answers. That was a really, really good summary. <laughs> cool. Nice.